Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It wasn't until about 10 months later that the light bulb went off that just because you've done one property doesn't mean you're an expert. And if I want to take this serious, I need to invest as much time and energy into finding out exactly what makes a successful investor. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with property investor and buyer's agent Jay Anderson to learn more about his experience in being exposed to the property accommodation industry since his early childhood. We'll delve into how he kickstarted an amazing portfolio and created his own business and much, much more. No stranger to property and having his own investment-related business, Jay Anderson explains how he kick-started his business and why he named Jay Anderson Property after himself. I came up with all weird and wonderful names and then my wife convinced me to engage a branding and identity consultant. So I had come up with all sorts of crazy names and, and logos and we sat down through two sessions with this uh, consultant. She spoke to a number of people who I'd kind of helped and advised in property over the years and my core values as me as a person and as the company. And she came back and said, Jay, you are your brand. Um, and I think you need to go with that. Yep, yep. And then we started touching on, I guess, in the early days when I first became very interested in property, I could name all the the main players, the industry experts, I could name um, who they were, but I couldn't tell you all their company names. So she said that's a big thing that people struggle with. They build their company profile, but then they struggle to build their personal profile. So if we combine the two, um, it's going to make that a lot easier. With such a cohesive brand and a font style almost reminiscent of Oprah's in his logo, Anderson explains whether he sourced inspiration when designing his brand from Winfrey herself. Not specifically, but yeah, definitely know what you mean. That, yeah, with that handwriting, we, I guess we wanted to get that um, that personal touch and being a kind of an approachable brand. Big focus of ours is, I guess, because we're an independent buyer's agency, we provide an end-to-end buying solution that handles everything from the research and acquisition of the best property right through to negotiation, purchase, and even sourcing of tenants for our clients. Growing up in the Hills District of Sydney, Anderson shares that his upbringing was quite unique. Grew up in the Hills District in Sydney. Um, my family has come from well, third generation in, in the hotel business, and I guess we'll touch on that side of it a little bit later, but I spent uh, nine years of my um, early life living in an actual hotel that my dad was running, so um, 
you know, that was that was very interesting at the time. I remember thinking, oh, all I want to do is just be able to mow a lawn like my mates do, or you know. Um, but yeah, it was it was great experience. And then um, yeah, grew up in the Hills District, moved to Potts Point for a short time for our first property we bought in our portfolio. And moved to the northern beaches and then had two kids, so moved back out to the suburbs. So we're back out in the Hills District now. Ending up in the place he started, Anderson takes us back to the hotel that his family lived in whilst growing up. The Hills Lodge at Castle Hill. Oh, wow. Your family yeah. owns that. Uh, no, we didn't own it. So dad ran it back in the day. So um, I moved there when I was about two. We lived there for nine years. Gosh. So we had a, an apartment um, built into the hotel. Such a unique situation and place to be living in. Anderson explains how that arrangement, particularly with his dad working in the hotel, actually came about. I think it was just probably a just a, a perk of the job, so to speak, of you know not having to um, have a house and having all your overheads paid for. So it was you know we're only a young family at that stage, and dad himself uh, grew up in a motel. So uh, my grandfather started buying motels in Australia in the in the fifties. So my dad and my uncle and my auntie actually, you know, spent a number of years living in a motel as well. So I guess it wasn't something that was foreign to him. Unforeign to his father and then unforeign to him, Anderson shares that this early life experiences is what influenced him to get into property. A lot of what we do, I guess, in, in the family's portfolio, in my own portfolio, and now what we're doing helping clients is a mix of both residential and commercial. Um, the commercial property is strong focus on accommodation assets and also medical assets. While his childhood home definitely sparked his love for property, Anderson states that the interest to own and operate hotels was also prevalent throughout his schooling. So I went to uh, Marion College at Kenthurst. Um, whilst I was at school, my main focus was getting into hotels. Um, owning and operating hotels. So all the study I did was around um, yeah, hotel management and first kind of few years uh, out of school was yeah, working in, in hotels from front desk, duty manager, front office manager, roles like that. And that was basically that the, the main focus was following in the footsteps of my dad, my uncle and my grandfather. Having grown up in a hotel for nine years of his life, Anderson elaborates on what the experience was like and why it caused him to want to follow in the footsteps of others in the family. I remember as a kid, you know, if you're, you're bored at home, I'd go downstairs and see what the maintenance guy was doing and I'd follow him around or, um, you know, go down into the kitchen and see what the chefs were doing and if I was hungry, I'd, you know, I could pick up the phone and order room service or, yeah, so it was... Um, uh, I guess I took it for granted at the time, but looking back on it, if I could have uh, maids and room service on dial 24-7, it would be great to have nowadays. Having come full circle and he's moved back to the suburbs, Anderson shares how his life has changed. Well, the novelty of uh, mowing a lawn wore off very quickly, I can <laughs> tell you that. <laughs> Delving more into the career side of things, Anderson shares whether he had any other jobs before he jumped into hotel management. I ended up um, doing a transition into IT project management. Um, so I did that for a uh, large island resort in the Whitsundays. So I did worked, worked for the owners um, for eight and a half years in a number of different roles from 
business analyst and then yeah eventually transitioned into a IT project management role. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into Jay Anderson's journey and how he got started in property. The first one we purchased was in Potts Point, so that was in 2010, and it was right at the peak of the TV shows like The Block, so we were all caught up in that. How he grew his portfolio to include commercial properties. When I started uh, buying commercial property with my father, so just in terms of balancing out my portfolio, and it really helped me define, I guess, my long-term goal and my long-term property plan about building up a nice asset base. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Sharing the details of his investing journey now, Anderson takes it back to where it all started, Potts Point and his first investment purchase. The first one we purchased was in Potts Point, so that was in 2010 and it was right at the peak of the TV shows like The Block, so we were all caught up in that. We thought, oh yeah, this this looks easy, let's buy an unrenovated place and do it ourselves. Um, I had a close friend who had probably purchased four or five different um, properties in that area over those years and um, he actually found this property. Finance fell through last minute for him and he handed it to us, that if we wanted it, we can have it. So we secured that. We spent uh, almost a year renovating it ourselves, um, which was probably a terrible decision at the time, but looking back on it, a, a great learning curve. You know, we were working um you know renovating at night after hours and on weekends but yeah we learned we learned a lot um so looking back on it was good but at the time probably not the smartest decision staying in the property occasionally but also driving back home Anderson reveals a little more about the property including what type it was and the condition they purchased it in the full story um amazing amazing property actually uh, there's uh, 16 units in the complex we basically renovated that first one ourselves got it revalued and kind of went wow that was that was easy let's do it again and we spent probably the next 10 months uh trying to secure the next one going to open for inspections every weekend doing what i thought was the right research but we just kept missing out and it wasn't until about 10 months later that the light bulb went off that hey just because you've done one property doesn't mean you're an expert. And if I want to take this serious, I need to uh, invest as much time and energy into finding out exactly what makes a successful investor, what are those investors doing, and how do they make it work. But what did Anderson actually do to find out what makes an investor successful? A lot of seminars, courses, started trying to surround myself with successful investors and finding out, well, what were they doing? How were they doing it? Why were they doing it that way? And the big thing that came back was, I guess, having a property-focused accountant, a investment property-focused mortgage broker, and the other one that kept coming up was buyer's agents. So I started using buyer's agents myself and I guess... Before we made that decision, you know, put a lot of stress on our relationship because and, and time because we were, you know, feeling quite overwhelmed, I guess, when you go to look at all these properties and you keep missing out and 
you think you're doing the right research, but you're seeing these successful investors who are continually buying and building and 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 getting ahead. Um, and that's when the kind of light bulb moment came on about you know the true value of I guess using using experts as part of your A team. With so many learning experiences, Anderson shares that the one takeaway he found from this first experience was that despite the hype and success that can ensue, renovating a house yourself just takes too long. It's not just the you know the professional experts you need to surround yourself with. I think surrounding yourself with like-minded people who are on the same journey as you as well that's that's a huge that's a huge assistance just to be able to bounce ideas and because it can be you know quite stressful and it can be quite daunting um, taking on you know large amounts of debt to try and build this portfolio. Um, but yeah, having that kind of network or that community around you is is a key point. While Anderson knows all these key points now, he shares that initially it was his lack of knowledge and confidence when it came to investing that led to some of his worst investing decisions. Biggest one was trying to think. Coming out of the first one, thinking that I knew everything, that was that was a mistake that that cost me a lot of time. And when I look back at some of the properties we walked away from, um, if I could, you know, walked away from them over maybe ten or fifteen thousand dollars, and we're talking about fantastic properties in kind of Surrey Hills, Darlinghurst, Bondi, Rose Bay. If I could turn back time and you know change that, it was definitely I, I got caught up in that analysis paralysis, and I think it a lot of it was just not having the confidence to be able to pull the trigger. Um, and that's where surrounding myself with those experts, it, it really helped, um, to, I guess, to take action and to be able to bounce properties or investment decisions off multiple different people in my key kind of network. So that was a, that was a big learning curve. Um, renovating ourselves, you know, which took 12 months, terrible decision. Um, great learning experience but you know looking back on it i would have been much better off just kind of project managing it and getting in the uh the professionals to do it and we could have done it in you know a quarter of the time purchasing his first investments in quite affluent upmarket suburbs anderson shares how he was able to overcome the fears associated with investing in expensive locations as a first-time buyer you could see that um not only it was a sought-after suburb in its own right anyway, but just looking at the proximity to the city, you know, from, from Potts Point, you could walk into the city for work. You could see the kind of seediness of the local King's Cross um, dropping off and more little kind of trendy cafes and little boutique shops were coming in. Um, so I could really see, you know, with our own eyes, the transition that kind of that area was going through and the transformation Darlinghurst had had in Surrey Hills. So we definitely knew the area and, and liked that area. Um, we had the borrowing capacity to buy in there. Um, so I wasn't so much scared off in terms of price point. It was just the more I looked and tried to understand on myself about the research, the, di- the deeper you go. You know, The more data you see, the more conflicting information you see and you just get overwhelmed by the amount of kind of data and research that there is out there and different opinions and that's what kind of you know made it hard for me to just to take action after that next one. Despite these information overloads, Anderson does have a time where knowledge allowed him to build a successful portfolio. 
The biggest aha moment was when I started uh, buying commercial property with my father. So just in terms of balancing out my portfolio and it really helped me define, I guess, my long-term goal and my long-term property plan about building up a nice asset base for the capital growth, but balancing that off with commercial to get that cash flow. And my ultimate long-term goal is will be to sell down my residential portfolio and build up the commercial side. Um, but when you look at some of the yields um, that you can get off commercial, it's, you know, it, it's amazing. But how does he manage the balance to ensure that he gets the best return out of both commercial and residential property? My main focus, I guess, from the residential side is, you know, I'm 35, so I'm still in the acquisition phase and I plan on being in the acquisition phase for at least another five years from the resi side. Commercial side, I want to build up that portfolio kind of independently on its own, Um, but the long-term goal is to use that commercial portfolio to provide my passive income that I want long-term. the commercial stuff that we do have in our portfolio is probably no surprise that it's it's motels. So it's in that accommodation sector. So that's an industry we know very well from the business point of view um, and, and the actual real estate side as well. So how do you actually source out commercial properties like those? Because, you know, don't they, don't they have a high value on them and it's not something that you can just, yeah, like an office building where you can spend a couple hundred thousand to be able to purchase these. These are, I would assume, you know, a lot higher value on them or a lot higher price point that you've got to get entry into them. Certainly a lot higher price point. Um, but the, I guess one of the, a couple of the key reasons why we really like the accommodation sector and motels specifically, we focus on motels in strong regional ha- uh, towns, uh, diverse local economy, population greater than 30,000. We want to make sure that there's not a saturation of motel and hotel rooms in that town. And we try and buy uh, poorly run, poorly managed hotels where we know we can turn the business around. So our our strategy is to basically acquire the actual freehold, the real estate itself and the business in two separate entities turn the business around and then on-sell a lease on the business and just maintain and hold on to the real estate. So they're typically 30-year leases. Tenant pays 100% of outgoings, including our land tax bill and insurance. And uh, the, I guess the one of the strongest points is there's almost zero vacancy. Because the tenant pays an upfront cost to get the rights to the lease, they're heavily invested from the get-go. So if they need to move on, they will try and on-sell the lease, even if it's for cents in the dollar. Or worst case, let's say they put the keys on the desk and walk out. I can I can walk in the next day, open the doors, and I've got a motel business. So it's not like a warehouse. If the tenant moves out, I'm stuck with an empty warehouse. Tenant walks out of a motel, I've got a business. Anderson adds that the key strategy here in getting buyers to pay land tax revolves around the process of finding a hotel, renovating it to add value and then essentially finding a buyer interested in leasing the full packaged hotel to manage the business. When we first take it over, we will um, begin a renovation plan, put a structured say two-year renovation plan in place, start renovating and start improving the business, Uh, put put managers in place with some um, structured business processes and also align the property with a hotel chain. 
So we start turning the business around and kind of have that structured business plan and they can see the momentum that the business is improving, but we want to leave enough upside potential in the business so the tenant who's going to be uh, taking on the lease on the business can have a profitable business. Because at the end of the day, if they do well, they're going to look after the property, invest money back into the property, and we all benefit from it. Creating these types of properties slightly away from the CBD, Innocent shares why he decided to build or purchase hotels in more regional areas. The, the key reasons are once you come into the CBD, you're now competing against the big the big boys in, in the industry. You know, you're, you're competing against international companies with huge budgets. When we go into regional towns, you know, our competition are more mum and dad operators. And the other thing is, as soon as we start moving closer to a CBD location, the yields we can get on the freehold start getting compressed. So if we go out regional, we're we're buying motels with a starting kind of net yield at about 8.2%. Our best performing property, we're getting a 12.75% net yield. And lastly, how he actually sources these types of properties. Some do get listed and come on the market, but most of them are done in off-market transactions. And I guess how we get access to those is because of my family has been buying and selling motels since the 50s. Um, we've got a long, I guess, standing network of relationships with um, motel brokers and motel operators that know what our strategy is and that we are buying properties. So we get a lot of them presented to us um, yeah, via email or just a direct phone call. So inspired by Jay Anderson's journey and how he's able to thrive in the hotel side of property, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode of Property Investory. We'll discuss the mindset factors that influenced him to start investing. I guess the big why is my wife and I sat down a number of years ago and said, what's the, in, what's the end game? What's the why? You know, why are we wanting to do this? And we both worked out that it's really going to be a passive income and a net wealth at retirement. The personal habits which have been contributing to his success? I guess taking action. Just um, there's a book somebody told me about a while ago. It's uh, about making a decision in five seconds. And it's something that I've tried to apply in my life. And much, much more. Next time in a future episode of Property Investory. To jumpstart your week, Here's Mindset Monday where our real success in property isn't knowledge and skill, it's 70% psychology and mindset. Here's this week's mindset tip from wealth coach Jill McIntyre. You talk about having a why factor Jill and of its importance when wanting to grow and succeed in property. Can you share some insight in here? Absolutely and a lot of people don't know what what the why factor is. Um, A why factor is I'm looking for all of my, through all of my years of hardship. There had to be a push and a reason why I wanted to keep on moving forward in property. I had no money. started off where everyone else, right at the bottom. Um, I've got a hearing problem and so that was another handicap. Um, If I allowed it to be a handicap, uh, I would say a negativity that pulled me back so I just had to find other ways to hear. And... When I started to grow in property and move forward in property, my why factor became very, very important to me. 
And in fact, that wise factor all of those years ago, after my husband died and, and wanting to make more money and uh, helping and supporting my children in their growth, my wise factor then is still my wise factor today. The only thing is, it's grown and it puts a smile on my face today about never going back to where I was for all of those period of time when it was hard. I can't emphasize enough that your why factor has to be something that's going to keep you on track. We all know that life gets in the way. We, we might have someone that's sick or we might go away on a holiday or, you know, it could be all extenuating circumstances as to why we lose momentum. What's going to bring you back on track with your property growth? And think about that. It's your why factor. It's going to be something that's going to be keeping you focused. And for me, it was never going back to where I was. And the, the desire and the fire in my belly that grew with that never, ever let me get off track for too long because I would people pull me back. So do you have a why factor in property? And often, I had a client last night, and she heard me on a podcast last week, or a webinar, it was a webinar last week. And so her triggering to come back and get in touch and get back into property was triggered by that, by hearing me and make an appointment with me. The thing here, that was an external thing. You might hear Tyron's podcast and someone really hits an accord that he interviews you, interviews, and you decide, yes, I'd like to go and do that. That's an external thing. For me, your internal thinking is where your why factor. It has to be inbuilt that something else doesn't trigger it off, that you've got it, that you strongly believe in why you're moving forward in property why you want to put some time into property, why you need to get out of your comfort zone, and why you need to take action. So think about what your why factor is, and is it internal for you, or are you needing continual prompting from external things that you hear or read or listen to? So take that thought with you, and uh, enjoy the journey again. <laughs> 